Welcome to the Evolution Exchange podcast. My name is Josh Asquith and I provide top tech freelance talent. We here at Evolution are committed to helping people in the Nordics and tech organizations realize their potential. Our goal is to develop deep relationships with individuals and build trust and make doing business easier. I'm joined today by Andreas of SEB, Ida of Klarna, Shadip of Opus and Husto of Klarna. The today we're here to discuss the importance of data in business in business decision making. Before we delve deeper into this topic with our amazing panelists, let's work our way around the room. We'll do some introductions so we get to know who you are. So I'd like to know who you are, what you do, and what's your biggest passion. Uh, Ida, kick us off. Hello. So I'm Ida Sultan from Klarna, where I work with market strategy and market optimization from a analytical or data perspective. But besides uh, optimizing market performance, I am passionate about mountain climbing and tango. Super cool. Thank you. Andreas. Uh, yes, hello. Uh, Andreas Rumberg. I'm working with data governance at SEB, uh, where we take the bank to the cloud. Um, I'm passionate about structure and um, uh, organizing stuff, uh, a bit of an OCD, uh, I think. That is really cool and certainly an envy of mine, Andreas. Justo, uh, tell us about yourself. Thank you. Uh, my name is Justo. I work also at Lorna and in anti-money laundering as an analytical uh, manager. My passion basically are sports. I like playing football. And I like also playing basket and whatever sport is available, I like to play. That doesn't mean that I'm good. I just mean that I like to play sports. Enjoying sports and being good at sports are definitely two different things. I feel you there, Husto. Thank you. And last but not least, Shadip, tell us about yourself. Hi, my name is Shadip. I work at Opus Bead Proving uh, as a data analytics and pricing manager. So. And my biggest passions are going to the gym and I love food. Hi everyone, this is Chris Bennett here, the Nordics Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data, product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. And who doesn't love a lot of food? Thank you very much. So, uh, as usual... What we're going to do is we're going to make our way around the room and ask some questions. Now, each and every one of you have brought your own questions. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm not going to read the question myself. I'm going to ask you to tell us your question and tell us how it is that you reached that question. Then we'll open the floor for discussion. So first of all, we have Andreas. Andreas, tell us about your question and how you reached it. Sure. Um, so how or when do you know you have sufficient data or sources to make adequate data-driven decisions? Um, I arrived at this question where you can always add more 
data, more sources, right? So when do you know that you have sufficient of foundation to make data-driven decisions? It, uh, 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 what type of decision I'm taking, then I'm going from that and I'm trying to work my way around finding relevant data, um, seeing if, I mean, if I'm taking a decision within pricing, then I would need to have pricing data and then it would be related. Uh, and then I'm also looking at, I have a criteria of looking at the timeliness. Is the time of the data set relevant to the time of the decision making? And then I'm also looking at uh, the accuracy of the data. And I think at the end of the day, it's a lot about trial and error and trying to figure out the, I mean, like what is good enough, basically. And then working with that and see if you you can backtest sometimes maybe on historical data and see if you arrive at a sufficient enough result or not. And then you could probably take it from there and just see there's always going to be a room for error or, or unknown, as you say. I also think that there is a time component to the amount of data that we're working with. And especially when making decisions that are reversible, I think time becomes an important factor to take into account when evaluating how much data you need. So for me, I often ask myself the question, how big impact does this decision have? And that sort of determines how much data am I willing to gather in order to reach a conclusion here. Of course, if you have a decision that is irreversible, say you're going to launch a new market, okay, not entirely irreversible, but sort of a big thing, right? Then I'm going to spend a lot of time and resources to find also hard to get data. Whereas if it's a decision about should we run this marketing campaign or that marketing campaign, I'm more prone to say, you know what, we have these metrics already available. Let's look at them. Okay, this one seems better. Let's try it. And then do a trial and error and then evaluate and learn from that. So to more use experience, essentially. Uh, I agree. Uh, also, I like to think of this question, let's call it in two ways, uh, quantity and quality. Uh, on the quality side, uh, as it had mentioned, it's like, it's about what decision are you going to make? Let's call it where it's binary, where it's like something uh, something that optional or like having several options. And given like the, the, the data that you have, how certain are you in the decision that you're going to make? Like if you're not very certain, then doesn't mean that doesn't mean like the, the data that you're gathering is, is good enough. There might be like maybe some clear cut points that can help you into like uh, into like gathering more certainty in the decision that you need to make. Um, for the others, for the other parties on quantity, I think like it all depends also on uh, also on the decision itself. Where do you want to apply this decision? That kind of tells you like uh, let's call it like that's the sampling units or the sum or what like where do you need to take your sample on? And maybe if it's possible, if you have like a, a like a, a registry or like a like a sampling frame, then maybe you can just apply like some random like sample calculations that can give you like a certain let's call it like a certain degree of confidence that the information that you're gathering uh, is actually like mm, you can make an inference uh, to the whole population that you gather. So uh, that. That's how I think like it can help uh, to know when it's actually sufficient on the data, like on the data numbers, but also like on the sources. 
an excellent it as well. I think that it's uh, also uh, regards to what Ida said earlier that uh, it depends on what type of decision it is, and if if I mean there's also a t- time point of when you actually have to take a decision. So if you th- if you compare this to like university life or a theoretical life, then you could spend a lot of time in trying to figure out and uh, fine tune your data, right? But in the business environment, it, when figuring out what marketing campaign should I run, I mean, it's it's a, it's time limited. After a while, then it's not relevant anymore. So you have to sort of balance the how much data can you get in and how quickly can you process that in order to be able to take a timely decision. Agreed. Uh, so um, in summary, so Shadip and uh, Ida is is keen on on uh, trial and error. Um, they they you know we should. We should go show go and test uh, our datasets when possible. Uh, Justo is is on uh, the quality of data points uh, will will generate quality quantitative qualitative decision making, and I think that's that's key uh, key key factor as well. Uh, however, I find it um, in my experience that you you need to set the framework from the beginning. Uh, so. We we you know we are fine with not having um, all the all the data factors. We won't um, acquire external sources into this dataset uh, for now. We will take the decision based on this um, frame. Um, then, uh, in hindsight, uh, there might be external factors affecting the marketing campaign or whatever. You know, it could be a, a election or or something. Um, macroeconomic uh, that that uh, factors in much more than our data points, um, but but that can't be um, that can't be considered there and then, right? That has to be done in hindsight, in retrospective, uh, after a year, after you know a certain period of time, after the uh, the launch, I guess. Uh, but very good input. I think that that's also interesting in the sense of whether, I mean, how much do you discuss with with the relevant stakeholders and explain what data model you're using or what type of data you're using in order to sort of um, set the right expectations as you're, you're, I think Andreas is referring to, as well as knowing like what are the limitations of of this data set in taking this decision. Uh, And then... uh, in some cases, you would also get some some qualitative input from 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 the business that that you might not have thought about in in the, in the first place. So, they were really interesting to listen to from the outside. And I have a question based on what one of you said in your answers. Um, what I would like to know is how we we ended up on decision on a framework. How does the framework change? if the deadline to make a decision is set by an external stakeholder, not somebody internally? Uh, expectation management. It's it's all about transparency and communication that, you know, we, we, uh, we have um, uh, insufficient data sources uh, for making this decision or rather, uh, you know, based on the sources of information we have, uh, we can give you a uh, 78% confidence interval uh, of the right decision or or you know some some uh, consultancy um, 
um, with in in your answer, um, ending with uh, that it all depends, uh, you know, on 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 some external factors that might come in uh, to to consideration as well. I one hundred percent agree with that, but I would say I th almost think about it in which currency do you negotiate because if it's an external party time is not necessarily something you can negotiate with so you negotiate with the output whereas internally i think you can play with both and sometimes the demand is under time pressure but sometimes it's more the insight and the time is less relevant so for me you have more flexibility when you work with an internal stakeholder but the factors are sort of the same I 100% agree on, on both of your points, and maybe I'm I can simplify it in in this. I don't know if you all have seen these videos, like in which a person tries to draw something in 30 minutes, then in 15, then in 10, then in 10 seconds, and so on. Like I think like that's that kind of shows like the challenge on or or it's both expectation management, like telling them what can we show you with this time with this time frame, and then maybe that can also like instant a negotiation in which we say. Okay, in one month you're able to respond these type of things. In two months we are able to respond these type of things. And maybe that either changes the whole question itself, the whole decision itself, or maybe that partitions a decision in like maybe some smaller steps or some smaller like actions. Uh, that could help like uh, either enhancing like the, the first ask can be like a bigger ask, but then in turn like have like a particular path of like reasoning and also like action itself. Yeah, I think it's 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 um, very. I mean, it sort of reminds me of of, uh, of of like budget negotiations, and when you're talking about like, okay, with with this part of money, this is what I can achieve, and with with this part of money, this is what you're gonna get. And if you give me one week, then this is what you can expect. And if you give me two weeks, then you could expect a bit more. Um, so that's, I think. The discussions of uh, both like um, expectation management and and the the balancing of um, like what the time and also the output it's it's a lot of uh, I mean it re reminds me of those processes. Awesome! Thank you so much, guys, for entertaining my question and for answering it so eloquently. It makes a lot of sense, and I think it leads us quite nextly, quite nicely into our next question. So, Ida, fire away. I was just thinking that actually. Um, so, something I've been thinking quite a lot about recently is whether there is a limit to data when making decisions, and I think we've already discussed a few limits, as in time, and in some ways, money either from the time it takes to gather data or from actually getting access to data. But if we were to disregard that for this conversation, is there still a limit to data? And the reason I've been thinking about this is essentially three different situations that I found myself in recently where I've had data that is extremely messy and that has to be cleaned a lot to the degree that it is almost its own a new data set before it becomes useful. I've also had that thought when I've been tackling a very complex topic that requires a multitude of KPIs or metrics to get to any actionable insights. And thirdly, actually, that is more about the time um, 
aspect of data. So maybe we skip that one and leave it at these two. Uh, yeah, so so uh, a great question, Ada. Um, and uh, cleaning data uh, is, it, it is a tedious task. And uh, there's, there's also a risk of, of bias in, in cleaning data when you when you clean your data till you get a verdict or you clean your data until you find a, a correlation or, or uh, that doesn't even need to be there. So, so, so um, the, the situation you describe is a bit um, dangerous in the sense that you, you are prone to find outcomes that might not even be there. Uh, so, um, it's a, it's a good question, and and uh, I don't know um, if if I have the answer, but I think you know again a, a framework that you know we will spend um, we will spend two days in in cleaning the data, um, and and that will be uh, abnormalities or or extreme values in the data that will be cut off maybe, uh, but but again clear framework, and then just uh, based on this data we will we will take decisions and then we will iterate and we will evaluate uh, onwards, I guess. Yeah, well, in regards to, to, to cleaning, for me, it's, it's um, first and foremost, you really have to understand your data and understand what you're trying to clean out so that you're cleaning the right things. Um, sometimes these outlayers, there's a lot of value in it. I mean, uh, a lot of value and a lot of interesting things in, in the actual outliers. But if you start trying to harmonize your data in a way that that you're cleaning out all the outliers then all the mo the most interesting things might might disappear in that and in that sense it's also important to understand that there is a limitation of how much you can clean the data uh with 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 regards to to your to your question either uh and and um, how accurate it could be of explaining the the event that you are seeing in the data yes and i think like <clears throat> most, most possibly in these type of situations maybe i, I don't know i'm just uh like figuring out on on, on the on the flight here but maybe there's it would like 80% of the like the information that come, like the most type of information that we can get from certain data sets. So, I'm really uh, sorry, um, your internet yes. paused. So, could you please restart your answer so we can get it, so we can get what you said from the beginning? Yes. All right. So, uh, I was here thinking on the fly, but maybe like uh, kind of related this to the 80 20% rule. Like, sometimes a lot of our decisions come from like the, the, the average rather than the outliers. And maybe like, even though, as, as Sharif said, like the outliers contains very valuable information, and maybe they can tell us like there is something that you need to take care of in the future, or there is something that you really need to take care of because maybe it's a completely different entire phenomenon. Uh, it also revolves to like how much of certainty do you want in your decision? Like, are you are you good enough? Like, do you want an answer that is good enough? Do you want an answer that is like? No, I want an answer that is very strict, like contains almost everything, like every every possible use case. And that kind of like gives you a leeway or kind of gives you like a 
like uh, something that you can negotiate when you want to clean your data, like good enough answers maybe can help you like in trimming more outliers because it's like, okay, then you can like uh, be more, be more uh, liberal on your, on your data cleansing when you, on your rows. But if you really want to consider all the use cases, then it's like you, you shouldn't like delete your outliers. You should also think like maybe this is our another phenomenon. And it all depends on like, uh, how strict do you want to be like with your answer and your decision, I think, in, in this regard? It's uh, first, it sounds like we have all encountered this situation uh, listening to your answers here. And I think you're saying something really interesting, Hosto, in that there is a risk component to this. Essentially, how much risk am I willing to accept in my decision making? And that sort of determines how or to what degree will you um want to modify a data set but I, I sort of have a follow-up question on this because i wonder is it really only about that is it only about accepting that data is not perfect and you know we're all with it or is there a way to overcome it however cumbersome perhaps uh... in terms Go Sorry, go ahead. Um, so, no. So, I would say, how long is a rope? Uh, you know, there, there's no. I, I wouldn't say that there would. There is a. Um, uh, you will never find uh, yourself in a in a satisfied manner um, without uh, setting the framework in the beginning. There will be an endless. Uh, chase uh, of of finding the perfect answer, because the the um, the outcomes are infinite. I would I would assume. Yeah, th this is also what what um, I mean. The balance is somehow uh, how much time do you spend, and what's the risk of getting the decision either wrong, or the value of getting it right. And what, I mean, data is in most cases historical and this is what we're trying to do we're trying to take historical data and try to extrapolate that into the future right and in the future there's a lot of unknowns and in that case regardless of how much time you spend on your data it's not certain that the decision will be right or that the data model that you have made based on historical data will fit into the future there's a lot of changing parts and this is where i think that there's a i think the the what just to touch upon the 80-20 rule, I mean, you have to be able to clean and try to uh, set a target of, okay, at this point, I, I think I'm ready to to continue into the next step. And uh, also when it comes to cleaning data, I think it's about, I think you have to understand your outliers. Are they actually data errors they're cleaning or are you actually cleaning out actual events? That's actually the uh, conclusion I've come to as well. Um, when the quant approaches fail us, and I mean, let's face it, we all love quant, right? We love big data, we love building our models, but when that fails us, then I think you need to go to qualitative research. You need to look at those outlying data points and understand, is there a pattern within them? Or are they true outliers? And that way, you get at least a little bit closer to what a potential truth is. I think another question you might want to ask yourself if you find yourself in a situation like that is, um, 
am I looking at the wrong data? Is this really the data that is needed to answer my question? And that's something we haven't really spoken about today, but I actually do find that often we go into um, a problem with a clear idea of what is needed to solve it, only to realize that that is not where the solution lies. Ah, I, I can agree to that. I mean, in the <clears throat> sometimes we find ourselves, uh, I mean, with, with passion for for what you do, you might tend to include too much data into your model and make it too complicated. And that way you're explaining the the world is a lot, you, you're trying to make the world a lot more complicated than it is. And that, that's when you sometimes you have to go and step back and see like, have I actually put myself into a corner? And have I implemented too much data? And could I scale back in what type of metrics I look at? And would that be sufficient enough to, 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 to arrive at the same conclusion or a similar conclusion? I definitely agree to, to both points. And I think like uh, the, the way I, I understood uh, your responses is both like you first need to know like the limitations on your data, not only because of like, uh, not only because on the time, but also what are you measuring? Like uh, just giving some example, like, uh, on psychology, when you try to make like a question to a person or on a specific topic about like something really personal, like you can ask the same question, the same question twice, and you may get two different responses. Like sometimes the measure, the type of measurement is, is just not the same. Uh, although like, uh, like for this specific case, but then also in, in other cases, you might not get like the same data quality and or the same like response. And then of course, like. Uh, not only that, like uh, there are some things that might change like fundamental aspect of what you're measuring. So uh, it's something that I remember someone told me in accounting is like, you cannot drive a car if just by looking at the rear view mirror, right? It's like, you cannot predict everything if you just look on like, uh, like on the past. Sometimes something changed, there's a curve ahead. And if you're not really looking into like what could be possible, then uh, you might fall like yourself flat into uh, not really, not really, not really answering the question because you were you 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 were so maybe so focused in the into what has happened instead of what will happen too. This is also where I think it's it's quite important to to um, at some point stop and try to try to analyze and reason with your not only with yourself but also with other parties and trying to figure out okay. Now I've explained it in this way and I've used this data. And is there any qualitative data points out there that that could limit the, my usage of the data? For example, if if for example in my industry there was a governmental change of what uh, what uh, periodicity you would uh, inspect your car in, and then if I looked at a longer data set, then the data set before that decision was taken is not relevant anymore because there's new rules. So in that sense, I had to cut out the old data and start looking at the data from that point and onwards, because if the government changes the rule, that, of course, it will impact how people behave. And then whatever behavior model I'll build on the data before that is not relevant anymore. Yeah, it's like, I don't know. When it's, oh, sorry, sorry, you can continue. I just wanted to summarize that. So what you're essentially saying is that there is 
you need a qualitative understanding in order to work with quantitative data, or you might end up in a very different spot than you thought you would. Awesome. That was really interesting. One question that I have, though, and it may seem very simple, but not everybody who listens to this is technically proficient in data, myself being a prime example. So can you please explain in the context of this question what it means to clean the data before you make a decision? I can take this one since I asked the question. So I think the easiest way to think about this is in a normal scatter plot. So if you remember from high school, you have the y-axis, the x-axis, and then you have a lot of dots distributed, and that's some sort of location. Normally, it's distributed over time or over certain costs. Let's say cost and time, cost over time. Mm. Although you would probably do that in a bar chart now that I think about it. But either way, we have two factors. We have a scatter plot. And then you have a lot of dots connected um, in a certain behavior. So you can essentially draw a line through them. But then on either side of this line, this imaginary line, you have a bunch of dots that just occur that don't seem to be related to the others. Uh, and those are the ones we call outliers. And when you clean data, you would then take out those dots that are outside of the pattern. And why do you do that? Well, because some of them are actually outliers. They are very rare events that wouldn't normally happen. So by having them in there, your analytical results are flawed. But if you do this to too large a degree, you're starting to take out noise that maybe should be there. And you get a very, very smooth, nice, curve or line that maybe doesn't really exist. Uh, I agree. Uh, but again, it, it's also back to what we're trying to achieve, because uh, maybe we're not actually trying to find the center, the middle, the, the big uh, width of the population. Um, maybe we're looking to, to um, uh, attract um, the most um, likely uh, consumers that will um, add on and buy more stuff. Um, and, and those are typically outliers. Those are not the typical ones that are, are, are in the standard deviation, in the big um, mean, because m most, most populations, they, they buy what they need in a certain time and then when they run out, they, they they buy another. They consume the additional stuff again. Uh, but maybe we're looking for for the outliers in our our data. So so um, could be could be highly interesting. Anyways, I mean, in one way, uh, just going back to the line example between these two different. Um, I mean, you're trying to try to explain these different dots, right, in this scatter chart. And then you're trying to draw a line through them. And then when the cleaning data, you might end up in a situation where you're just cleaning out everything so that the data fits your model. Whereas you're trying to build a model to explain the data. Now you end up in a situation where you try to fit the data into your model instead. And this is the striking balance, right? And then I think it's interesting what Andreas right now talked about the fact that finding, for example, these customers that are high spenders or that are out of the ordinary, right? 
And in that case, I think that, that that's where it's interesting to actually look at the outliers and trying to understand the outliers. And then you might end up in a situation where you find that, hey, I need a different model to explain the outliers and a different model to find the the sort of standard purchases. Thank you so much for clarifying that. It makes a lot of sense. And it feels like a very nice segue into Husto's question. So Husto, please take it from here. Yes. So uh, recently, uh, when I've been working in some modeling, in, in some like information for, for my work, uh, sometimes it begs the question on like, it's always more data, more data to your data set or your model itself. Like, it's always that something that uh, it's a better approach. Like, it's always the answer for for any data quality issue. Get more data. Serving okay, Joshua. Okay, so uh, or should we look at it the other way around? uh should we be more careful like in our data collection process like when do we grip the benefits on data collection or on data on data or data transformation and when do we actually say like no we just add more data and then maybe we get more benefits i mean firstly it depends a bit on what you want to track which i think has been a constant in this conversation sort of it depends but personally i am actually quite a fan of simplicity. So have a simple approach that maybe doesn't explain everything, but that explains enough for you to know when you need to do, say, a deep dive. So what do I mean with a deep dive? You might see that something is off because the behavior of your metric or your model indicates that something has changed, but you can't really explain why, and it doesn't capture why necessarily. So then you start to investigate, okay, what could be the drivers of this change? And that to me is a better approach um, to ensure that you have a good enough understanding of the day-to-day -day and then something happens and you can take action on that because that is normally an outlier of some sort and that you should never try to capture in a model, right? Uh, yes, uh, I I agree um, uh, to Ida, and and it's an, a relevant question, Justo. Um, but I would uh, again emphasize on on not not the the either or 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 choosing, but rather trial and error that you were alluding to earlier. Um, so um, factor in. Um, the, the different uh, outcomes um, uh, when you, if you have the possibility to do an extensive uh, analysis with with uh, uh, the, with uh, extensive data sets and then uh, compare it to to the the um, uh, qualitative one and see if if the outcomes um, differentiate uh, again uh, there's always a, uh, a possibility of external factors so this has to be done uh, repeatedly and iteratively so um, um, iteratively and uh, trial and error uh, i think uh, is the best way e e even here in this case i agree to that i mean there's this always when you're trying to work with data there the, the, this question sort of pops up but um 
in one way, you will never get a data set that will explain every single situation. You never end up in a model that will explain every single situation. There's always there's always going to be some some unknown, right? And in most cases, uh, like the approach that Ida and also Andreas is uh, referring to in trial and error and going with starting with a simple model, and then once your unknown is becoming too big, then you need to start to look at other data points in order to try to minimize this this what we call the unknown and try to fitting fit a better model into it. Um, I certainly agree with with, uh, with all of you on, on the try start model and then like iterate on on all the processes. Now now that I also been been hearing the responses, maybe I can also bounce back the question with. Uh, well, I don't know if it's if it should be called bounce back, but I've been thinking that like sometimes data or gathering more data can have a cost. Like let's say when you try when you work with uh, external companies, data services. If they, if they want to, like a market intelligence company, they, if they want to provide you with more intelligence, then they can just say like, oh, uh, taking like a survey from another, like from another country on taking the survey again can actually cost you, I don't know, a certain amount of dollars. And um, I think that this type of like uh, cost consideration can also be factored within that trial, within the trial that, that we discussed. Uh, it's just that something that uh, came up when 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 you were uh, when you were giving your responses. I usually think about it in the way that well, how much data can I actually process? I have I had have I've had this question earlier in the sense of when we have work with a lot of pricing and a lot of competitor pricing, then how well how often do you want to track price? And of course, the the external party wants to sell me data every second right but in reality do i have even time uh, to 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 look at data at that frequency uh, and do i have do i really want to change my price every single second for my customer so there's a, a discussion that you have to have or, or analysis you have to do in the, what's the benefit of gathering more data and that in and also in the frequency that you're gathering it in so you actually have time to look at the data and actually make use of it. But I think this is where we need to employ artificial intelligence to help us with this type of monitor reporting so that we can track essentially, you know, daily, minute-wise, second-wise updates on data without having to actually track it. Because the only thing we're really interested in when there is a change and now pricing might not be the context where you need that, but say in the stock market, it's extremely relevant. So then to have some thing that tells you, hey, something is happening here, you should probably act. And I think the stock market is also where we have seen the largest improvements on this with index funds, et cetera, in recent years. But how can we apply that to our work? Yeah. That's an interesting um, uh, example because uh, a, a lot of stock trading today is drawn exactly in similar way with robots and similar, where you have a rule-based system saying that, all right, if this hits or th this uh, happens, then do do X or do Y, right? And that, then it goes back to, but what are you going to use the data for? And having a balance of understanding of, okay, I'm going to use it for this case, 
and then understanding, well, how frequently I need to have the data and what type of models do I have to use? And then you might end up in a situation where, where, where you're absolutely right, that, that we have to apply different technologies. Thank you so much, everybody. And as per usual, I have a follow-up question for you all. So in a very simplistic way, to return to Husto's original question of is always more data a better approach in general, it kind of feels like from listening that when you're trying to reach an outcome, feeding in data is almost like putting air into a balloon. And you, the more you put air into the balloon, obviously the bigger the balloon gets, the better it is. But is it like a balloon in that there's a certain point where you put so much air into it, or in this case data, that the balloon bursts and you end up very sad? That is a very fantastic way to put it. And I think it all it also revolves to what Ida, uh, like the question of Ida, like is there a limit to data when actually making decisions? Like maybe too much data, like actually like uh, it backfires and then you're left with somewhat with something that doesn't even make sense. So uh, and you're left more perplexed or more confused than what you were originally. And that can be something that it, it, it is quite uh, um Ironic, I should, I suppose. I also think this is a beautiful analogy. And I almost want to tie it to data modeling and working with really big data sets, because I think a risk is when you load too much data into a model, it can become really, really good at solving a very, very specific thing. And if you were to train a model, say on historical data, you can develop a essentially perfect model at predicting history. But we're never interested in history. We're interested in future. So it's almost like when this balloon pops, it's when you have gotten so far that you can no longer see into the future. And so the model pops or breaks. This is also where I think that you have to reconsider this huge balloon that you have and maybe try to make smaller, smaller balloons out of that in the sense of having, I mean, draw up clear-cut differences in your data set using demographical data, for example, to try to to pinpoint the differences uh, rather than, because if you apply a lot of data over a long time, then, I mean, the law of averages takes over and then you will not find these specific cases anymore because you have, basically flattened everything out. Uh, but, but wouldn't it be good that our data popped when uh, we load it with too much information? I'm afraid that it won't pop. So so I think that's that's the uh, predicament here that we don't know when the date when it pops. And that is the the the, the silver line that we don't know where when it pops. So, so, um, uh, and again, you know, we, we need to, you know, put, set the framework at the beginning and say, let's just, let's have this uh, and go with this um, and, and, um, and try it again and again and again, uh, because we won't know when, no. when we pop, when it pops. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. That really does make a lot of sense and it answers my question uh 
so we do have one final question and it is again last but it is not least uh Shadip, you have a question would you please tell us about it i think he may have lost connection because i saw his camera freeze and then went out uh well, that's okay. Uh, sorry, 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 I was muted. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, my, my computer died, so I had to switch on to the phone. No problem at all. So let, uh, let's try to take it, I guess. No problem. Um, so we can we can edit all this bit out, Shadow. Don't worry. We're just up to the point of asking you your final question and the context behind the question. Yeah. Uh, so, um, when a business uh, wants to take an approach of implementing a more of a data-driven approach to to um, to decision making, and the company before before that has a history of of taking decisions on gut feel and in the, on the intuition, and has also done that successfully over a long period of time, then you come up there saying that now we can have a decision made based on data and no longer a lot of intuition and feelings, right? Uh, I find myself in a situation where, where it's a lot of uh, resistance towards letting go of the decision making and trying to let the, like, sort of like the computer take the decision. And my question is basically, well, how do you manage that? Uh, that's an excellent question, Sharip. And um, um, you know, uh, even if if the data, um, or even if if the analyst, the data analysts, or the data scientists uh, has done this for a year or two, uh, you know, there's still people with uh, 25, 30 years in the business. They've they've been around. They they know their crowd. They know what what works. And uh, they can factor in a lot more than uh, uh, than than a, a, a data set, uh, or, or or not the same aspects maybe, but and that's a feeling, that's a gut feeling that can't be quantified uh, in in his or her decisions. Uh, but but I think uh, again that that you know uh, benchmark the two uh, outcomes um, several times and see if um, the old uh, fart is still uh, the wisest in the crowd, or if the the data scientist or the data analysts is actually, you know, having um, um, a point in in her um, database decisions. If I can build on that, because I think there is so much insight there, and I normally think about this as less of telling people to work with data instead of intuition and more trying to prove their intuition right. Because I think it's really what it is about. We really shouldn't underestimate how much value there is in experience. And I think I can make an example of the, say, reverse, where I'm sure we've all had the experience. I've been this person, by the way. The new hire that comes in, sees something in the data and has a great idea of how to change it. And then the response is, yeah, we tried that. And this is, I think, when you start from data and you want to do something. And then it can become shallow. It can become very junior if you don't have the background. Whereas if you start from, hey, this is my intuition. I think this will work. Then you say, OK, how can we prove that right? 
what would it take for us? What can we see in the data that would prove you right here? It's a different approach, but I think it's more, it's an approach that honor work experience. I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. And I think that I cannot add that much. I, uh, the only thing that I can add is that like uh, it all comes about like, how can you verify your intuition right? Or how, or how can you like through data verify that the patterns that you're seeing are actually like happening in real life? And it all comes about like, uh, uh, how to say this? About like using data to verify your assumptions or using data to prove in your hypothesis, or even if you already have a hypothesis without data, like you can actually use data to like uh, evaluate whether you are thinking into like something that is uh, that happens in reality. And then it's more about like a learning opportunity in which you as a person, like you have your like you have your own ideas and then through constant explore exploration, then you actually like build that type of experience. Then on, on the long run, when you have another type, like when in the long run, you have pl plenty of experience then you actually know how things work because then you actually like prove them in, in the past, not only by seeing, not only by like uh, on the day-to-day -day basis, but also because you, you saw them on data and you actually like make the analysis itself that can help you, uh, fail or, or, or approve that hypothesis. I think it, it, you guys touched on something that is very important and it's, uh, it's um, regarding, I mean, how crucial is, it is to acknowledge uh, the value of the experience within the institution uh, that, that you're, you're, you're com basically coming to. And then I think it's also very important to bridge the gap between that experiences and those experiences and, and the data-driven insights in terms of seeing data as like uh, augmentation of, of decision-making and then also trying to, to sometimes challenge uh, the, the, the truths that are built in, in into um, the organization and trying to show with data that uh, this is right or or in some cases this is wrong um, that that in a way would, would build uh, bridge this gap and build some trust into the data and so what i've also sometimes found very useful in in my my previous experience is to before digging into a lot of data i mean try to learn the business and understand the business without really looking at data but actually listening to people sometimes is very important in order for them to feel that you that you have actually you have a keen interest in the business uh not only numbers and and that you also have a profound interest in understanding the business and then trying to use data and looking at data and try to build build um, build and take it from there basically uh -huh. And for instance, if you if you want to increase revenue, um, the first thing you you would want to think would you normally go to is is pricing. You know, there's a price elasticity um, for different segments. Um, how can we raise prices where we have uh, large uh, price elasticity? So there's a margin to be uh, to be had. Uh, however, that is quite shallow to only think of of 
uh, where can we earn more money which in which which time spans of the day can we um boost prices and still uh, have people coming or whatever rather than we we would apply um personas or or segmentations of of um, of your of your population right so you would categorize them into different buckets depending on on their on 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 data um and they will they, then you won't have uh, one or two but rather may, maybe at least nine different profiles or personas if you may want and and that will give you a more it's fictive right so 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 but but still it will give you a better understanding and a um, a conceptualizing of how to differentiate differentiate prices and make a better customer offering and uh, in the end uh, making the, the company more profitable as well as um, uh, increasing customer service because they will be seen they will be felt like they are having the right prices that that are that they uh, are willing to accept with the right service and um, the products uh, in within the right time for these uh, customers so it will be a win-win uh, i would say to use analytics on those on those um, in that uh, use case okay thank you everybody and we have one final question now this question is to kind of summarize or to overlook a lot of what we have spoken about today and you guys have really been awesome so thank you a lot of the answers that you guys gave centered around an analytics framework. Now, for those of us that aren't in analytics, what is an analytics framework? What should it look like? Or a data framework? What should it look like? And what components are in it? Andreas, anything? Uh, sure. Yeah. So I would I would say that um, um, uh, as mentioned, price segmentation. Uh, also, um, uh, persona segmentation. W what type of of um, of customers do we have? Um, but but also products and services. Um, you know, uh, can we um, amend the product portfolio uh, to better uh, meet uh, our customers' demands? um so so um so analytics uh, would factor in all of these uh, frameworks and uh, will provide uh, a theory uh, that has to be tested iteratively and then evaluated uh, but you will certainly have something to go with uh, applying that I, to add to Andrea's answer, because I think you covered a lot of the areas where analytics can be applied to. And to add to that, I think analytics or the craftsmanship of analytics consists of five components, at least to me, where you start from data sourcing. So to acquire the data, to find the data that you want to work with. Then it comes verification. So to understand, is this the data I actually want or need? Is it correct? Um, finding those outliers, potentially, that we spoke about earlier. 
And then once you verify that, you get to a visualization stage because most people don't like to read data tables of 100 million rows, but they want to see a nice graph and ideally with some shiny colors. So that's also something you do in analytics. You package the data so that it is consumable for human beings and maybe human beings that aren't necessarily super into looking at numbers. And then when you have this visualization, you can start to draw insights from the data. And you can start to say, okay, it looks like this is working, but it looks like that is not working. But this all in all is really quite useless unless you have the final step, which is the actions. So unless you take actions on your insights, you might just as well skip all the other steps. Because to me, this whole chain of analytics from the data sourcing to the action has to sort of sync and has to work. Otherwise, we cannot perform our profession in a very good way. Uh, I agree. Uh, and and I can't stress that enough, Ida, that, that uh, you will make predictive models in a workbench you will you will get um, um, you will get results and insights uh, in your in your graphs in your visualizations tables but then taking it to market that's that's the, the that's the that's the, the big that's the real work actually so so when we think that we've reached an insight and then then not uh, and then just uh, executing on it that's when the real work starts I agree, and uh, thank you, Aida, for uh, like telling us how, how it is. Like all these questions must be solved, and I think like it all also helps like uh, just go to go on top on, on what you said. It all like the the analytic framework itself help us to tell a story, like to tell something, like to tell something to that someone is just asking. Like someone just wants to ask, should I go to like let's say should I expand myself to another market? And they either want a yes, no answer, or they either want like maybe maybe the other market is better. So like all this data visualization, all this data like analysis visualization, all these like uh, tools that we have are actually like to be able just to tell a story, to be able like to respond to such question and like to make this type of actions, investments, or or even like uh, any any other type of of like actions that can be happening. Like it's all based on your like. The way you tell your story and the way you tell the options and the way you tell like maybe this is the best way to go maybe you shouldn't even ponder those questions but that all is all related to to what you just said about those key five like five key stages that can help us make that happen just circling back on something that i think you I, that Ida said uh, about actionable insight i think that that's the thing that uh, Working in business, I mean, there's no real point sometimes in theorizing in until until eternity. You could do that for for forever, right? But actually figuring out, okay, but this, what am I going to use it for? The 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 um, data set and the the data set. What what actionable insights can I actually draw from this data set, and what I'm going to use it for? And that that will actually help you in. in trying to narrow down the scope of uh, something that we touched upon before, like how much data do you actually input into your model and how much time do you actually spend on, on that model. And for me, it's about trying to find a model to, to, to answer a question or to solve a problem or trying to even, in some cases, though, then predict 
the future or trying to even be presumptive of the future and trying to have an antidote for a decision. So trying to, for example, steer a customer in a certain way. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody, for being so accommodating to the extra questions. Personally, I have greatly enjoyed listening to you guys talk, and I'm sure to you that are listening, you have enjoyed it too, and I really hope you've learned something. So before we end, I just want to thank you all individually again. Um, and just for clarity's sake, we have Ida from Klano, we have Husto from Klano, we have Andreas from SCB, and we have Shadip from Opus. I have been Josh Asquith, I am your host, and you guys have been absolutely exceptional. Thank you very much and enjoy the rest of your day.